Thanks for tuning in to Just Another Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Miles. Today we got a little draft special going on for you guys. NBT Sports, Roto World's draft analyst, Thor Nystrom joins the show. Thor, great to have you on, my man. It's great to be with you, Connor. Absolutely. So, let's just start right off because there's a lot to talk about, a lot to cover real quick for this episode. We're going to get into the quarterbacks, of course, go over your rankings and how you felt about the class. Let's start off with Joe Burrow. I We all know what we need to know about Joe. He's first overall pick. Definitely heading to the Bengals. I have no doubt in my mind. Um, I think a lot of the questions about Joe Burrow that people have is the one-year wonder. Now, for me, as someone who studies the game and uh, looks at all aspects of it, Joe Burrow having such a breakout year last year wasn't that surprising to me because he has the NFL tools while also running an NFL concepts and passing designs by Joe Brady, his passing game coordinator who had the NFL pedigree. So to me... From a person from studies the game looking in, I know that Joe Burrow, well, I believe Joe Burrow will, will transition well to the NFL, especially with Zach Taylor. Um, I think people just look at the numbers exploding from a season before and how he was as a starter back then and think, how, is this something that is sustainable in the NFL? Uh, what do you think from watching your time at, with Joe Burrow? Well, you know, to the to the first point, I was surprised last year, you know, with, with the blow up, I, I got it. I remember I got a DM from an NFL agent in either July or August. I forget. And he said something like, Hey, I got a tip for you. He said, uh, LSU is going to throw so much more this year. He said, they're going to be throwing the ball all over the place. And he was going on and on about LSU, LSU, LSU. And, you know, I typed back something like, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, like, you know, I've heard this before because, you know, we'd heard this in past off seasons. You know, you'd hear whispers about like, oh, they're going to throw it more this year. They're going to open up the offense a little more. Like even going back to like the less miles times, you mm-hmm. know, where the, it'd be like, oh, this is the year the less miles is going to open it up a little bit more. And it just never happened. And then, you know, indeed, they come out against Texas and it was like, holy shit, what is this? You know, like mm-hmm. um, and 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 Burrow is just. I mean, my gosh, it, 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 he was a man possessed. You know, it was like we we had seen we had seen tools before, but this was a whole different thing. I mean, now I mean it wasn't just tools. I mean, he had a whole scalpel, you know, a whole tool set of scalpels. Now, I mean, he was just carving people up from the start. Um, the 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 one year jump is something that I've never seen. We've never oh, seen. Oh no, astronomical. And, astronomical i mean unprecedented unheard of never seen before and so it's like you know my thing with burrow is just like we don't have a data point like him before Mm -hmm. which isn't to say that which isn't to say that like you know it's it, it you know it's not to say that there's any sort of like higher risk profile there at all because he's also coming off the greatest season that we've ever seen from a college quarterback and perhaps a, a college player ever, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that he just had at LSU. So, I mean, that's that's a data point as well. But, yeah, I mean, just, you know, an, an incredible one-year um, ascendance, and there there is literally nothing to uh, compare that to. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to watch. And obviously, you know, you go from the thing where he had, you know, whatever, four or five offensive linemen, you know, playing in front of him that are going to be playing in the NFL, you had – uh, you know, a guy who's now an NFL offensive coordinator, you know, running his, his the, the passing show there. Uh, you had the, the Bolitnikoff winner who's going to 
potentially be wide receiver one next year in, in Jamar Chase. Justin Jefferson's probably going to be a first round pick in in this class. Terrace Marshall, you know, could be a high pick as well coming up here. Uh, Thaddeus Moss, I mean, obviously Edwards Hilaire, you know, go, go on down the line. And now uh, he's probably going to Cincinnati. It it is going to be interesting to see, you know, he the 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 one knock, of course, is. He doesn't have the elite, obviously, athleticism or the elite arm. And so it's going to be interesting without the elite supporting cast how that transition is going to go. Um, but obviously the accuracy is tremendous. The, the, the pocket awareness is tremendous. I mean, that's about as good as, as you see with that from a, a quarterback in college. It's like the kid's got you know, eyes in the back of his head and in the side of his helmet. So, um I mean, I had to put him white, uh, quarterback one, even though I'm a huge Tua guy, um, especially after what I saw him do to Clemson, because you just you don't see college quarterbacks do that to a Brett Venables defense. What 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 uh, Burrow did to them in the national title game. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I became like a full time uh, Joe Burrow convert, you know, as, as, as far as his NFL evaluation goes. So, I mean, just to finish up on Burrow. Basically, last year, like you said, LSU was never like a big passing offense. It was mostly run first. They they flipped the switch last year with Joe Brady coming in, who brought that NFL pedigree from the Saints as the passing game coordinator. To me, when I see Joe Burrow, that's a guy that can handle pressure. I, I look for things in quarterbacks that uh, not most people would say this is like their do or don't or their die on their hill on those type of guys. But for me, it's how you handle pressure and how accurate you are when pressure is brought to you. And to me, Burrow jumps off the charts in that aspect, especially when you consider the offensive line he's probably going to get into when he gets to Cincinnati. Uh, That's why I think he will be successful in the NFL, especially in a situation like that with the Bengals, just because that offensive line's pretty bad. Uh, It's well-documented pretty bad. But the way he handles pressure, how accurate he is under pressure, uh, to me, there's no way Joe Burrow doesn't pan out. I, I never go that far with, especially with quarterbacks, with NFL prospects in general. I, I think everyone has a, everyone has a risk profile, pretty much. Mm. Um, I feel like, um, but he he is fairly safe because of the things that you're talking about, and and I think you make a really good point in that. Um, I sort of look at it as the inverse where. When I'm trying to sniff out bus with with quarterbacks, the number one thing that I look for is a lack of composure under pressure, which mm-hmm. is the reason why I hate Jacob Eason, which we're probably going to talk about here in a second. Right. Um, Jake, Jacob Eason is absolutely horrific under under pressure. And, mm-hmm. well, you know, spoiler alert on that. Um, and by the way, so was so was Christian Hackenberg uh, several years ago, which is why I was very low on him coming out. Um, and uh, Burrow was absolutely fabulous under pressure. And, um, you know, y- you can use the cliche like on, you know, unflappable. But this this, you know, it plays out in his numbers, the, the you know, the, the, the PFF stuff and stuff like that. But also, you know, the the his ability to maneuver in the pocket, like the Tony Romo thing of like stepping up, you know, he, he's willing to not only take a shot he's willing to step up like, you know, where, where there's like, you know, there's like bodies falling around his ankles, you know, where some quarterbacks won't sort of step up into that quagmire. Like Burrow's the kind of guy who will, 
you know, so that he can get that pass off downfield. You know, he, he just, he has that gamer to him, you know, and, and he's willing to, or, I mean, he's able to get off more, more passes because of that, you know, where, where he's able to fling it downfield because of that. And the accuracy is, is just sort of next level. You know, I mean, that, that, that is the, you know, the one truly, truly top level thing that he's got going for him as a thrower where, you know, to, to every sector of the field, you know, th- this season he was just on the money, you know, on, on target consistently. So, all right, let's let's get into Tua. Uh, I'm high on Tua as you, as you are. I when I turn on the tape, um, when I excuse me, when I turn on the tape, that's a franchise caliber quarterback right there. Uh, the way he reads defenses, the 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 thing I really admire about Tua is he won't he can navigate through his reads at a fast pace, which obviously helps when you have a Henry Ruggs, a Jerry Judy, and Devontae Smith of the world out there playing wide receiver. But the way he navigates so quickly through his reads and processes information on the field is why I believe he'll be great. Now, of course, the medicals and his injury history is what's really damning him right now. But to me, he's besides Burrow, he's the can't-miss quarterback prospect. If you're a team like Miami who started that whole tank for Tua thing, there's no way you can go into this draft and come out of it with Justin Herbert, in my opinion. Uh, you need someone that can carry the franchise at this point. And Tua's proven to me. Tua has proven to be the type of guy. I know he's been with Alabama, and they've been a great program for years and years and years. But he's the type of guy that I would want carrying my team to the next level. Uh, I see the Russell Wilson comparisons to a, an extent. I don't think he's the same type of athlete as Wilson. I think actually my major knock on him is he thinks he's as a, is as elusive as a type of rice. Well, excuse me, as elusive as a type of quarterback Russell Wilson is. But that's what's getting him in trouble with injuries lately. What is your thoughts on Tua? Do the medical scare you enough to warrant maybe not using top five pick on him? What's what's your thoughts on Tua? No, they they don't. Um, the I don't want to say that the medicals are overblown because of course that introduces an element of risk there. Um, but I think the, to the extent that the the media is talking about it and you know talking about like he could have a truncated career and, you know, this could turn into, um, you know, like an airball pick and stuff like that. I, I think that that's taking it uh, too far. You know, I, mm-hmm. uh, Tua was medically cleared, um, you know, by, by doctors. Um, he would have been able to go through his pro day had it happened. Um, you know, I've, I've seen, um, you know, doctors that are not affiliated with his team on, uh, on Twitter verified accounts, you know, talking about how, you know, the, these are not the, the injuries that, that he has where there is a belief that it's not necessarily um, specific to Tua, where, um, you know, the, these are these are essentially things where the injuries he's had. It's like uh, the, the way the way I was reading it, that it was described. It's like um, they were basically like it was like, a you know, the hip thing. It was like it being in a car accident, you know, where like any human being that, that had been in that scenario their hip would not have been able to to withstand that. It's not that, you know, because he's he's frail, it couldn't. It's because any human being in that collision wouldn't have been able to. And so, you know, and as far as like the the high ankle sprains, like you know, Pat Mahomes had a couple of those, and you know, this past season, like um, you know, I, you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. um, I I just don't think like um, you have to bake it in to a certain extent, but. 
I, I wouldn't be throwing the baby out with the bathwater on that. There's, you know, the, the, the main part of, of Tua's evaluation happens on the field, and what happens on the field is pretty dang special, you know. And, and if, if I thought that the Tua against Herbert, if I thought that that was extremely, extremely close, you know, if, if, if I thought they were pretty close as prospects, sure, you know, the, the, the inherent risk there, you know, of, of, of Tua's health, yeah, I, I would then, you know, uh, slide Herbert above him. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of a gap between the two. And so, um, you know, Tua's medical, quote-unquote, risk is not enough for me to move Herbert above him. So, yeah, Miami at five, if Tua's there and Herbert's there, um, I'm not picking Justin Herbert above Tua. I, I feel that that is an unnecessary risk where you're you're shooting on upside but it's like a it's 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 a sort of theoretical upside because i i feel that the tua has hall of fame upside it's Mm -hmm. like it doesn't really get higher than that so yeah i mean that it just seems like settling to me i i'm not that high on justin herbert immediately uh we'll get into that in a second but tua is just a franchise-altering type of quarterback, and you look at Miami, who already missed out on Breeze once because of medicals. I, I just, there's no way you can you can sell this to your fan base as we we tanked, uh, we've got all these first-round picks, uh, we're gonna go ahead and get Justin Herbert. It just doesn't it doesn't add the bazam as you want in when you get Tua. So I, to me, it's fairly distant uh, talent-wise. But let's roll into Justin Herbert anyway, since we're just beginning talking about him. So the reason why I think I'm a little harsher on Justin Herbert than the consensus is because most people have him as quarterback three. Um, he reminds me a lot of Jared Goff at Cal. And the reason why I say that is the way that they handled pressure. They really broke down pressure. Uh, I didn't like seeing... That's the type of quarterback that will turn the ball over when he gets pressure enough or make some errant throws. Uh, I don't like how either one handled pressure in college really that's what rocks him down for me he has all the arm talent in the world Oregon didn't really have the that many players to put around him so to me you have to be situation based with Justin Herbert you have to put him in uh with with the playmakers already around him and an offensive line that can protect him because if it doesn't protect him I think you're looking at really bad plays coming from the quarterback position what's your take on Justin Herbert to me the perfect situation where is the Chargers at six Obviously, with their uh, upgraded offensive line, the the wide receivers they have, Austin Eckler out of the backfield, that's where I could see Justin Herbert being successful. But again, to me, if you just pressure him, we're talking about quarterbacks that were the consensus top quarterbacks in this class before Joe Burrow had his breakout party. It was the year prior when people were talking about the quarterbacks that were missed in the 2019 draft. Well, you can go into 2020 and get yourself a Justin Herbert or, or two, and now it's Burrow's at the top, and... Tua were questioning because of his medicals, and now Justin Herbert were just like the third best at at, at best. Um, what's your take on Herbert, man? Yeah, I I, I I probably like Herbert more than you. Um, you know, he is he is QB three for me. Um, but you know, like I say, there's for me there is that gap um, between the two. So I we we definitely agree. You know, as far as that goes, um, I comp Herbert to a better passing Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think with Herbert, you're going to be able to, I, I think you're going to see him run a bit more than you saw him run in college. You know, he's an athletic big kid. Um, I think that's going to add an element to an NFL offense. So you're going to be able to stress defenses uh, horizontally. And then, you know, the other thing is 
is he's got a bazooka and mm-hmm. in at Oregon they did not do him any favors in my opinion on on two different accounts number one just as far as the way the offense was run um you know I I, I, I didn't think that they did him any favors because they didn't let him take enough deep shots I, and I didn't think that they let him use his athleticism enough and then the other thing was he I mean like in in your head you know you sort of think of Oregon, you're like, oh, you know, it's super fun, sleek, you know, playmakers and Chip Kelly and all this stuff. But like, Justin Herbert actually did not play with any playmakers at all. Oh, you know, over 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 his time there, he didn't play with any mm. really good receivers. You know, and uh, running backs is is you know sort of as well. You know, I, you know since since Freeman left, um, and so like, he, you know, he was sort of a, a, a talent bereft and. Um, you know, there was, there was a drop passes there and, 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 and such like this, um, you know, as far as his NFL transition goes, I do have a few questions, but I, I think he's going to be fine. Um, but your point's well taken. Um, he does have a few warts that, that do give you, um, slight pause. You know, it's, it's nothing where I think that, um, you know, I'm, I, I think that he's going to be a bust or anything. I, I think he's going to be a, a solid starter and he could be, he could turn out to be a very, very good starter. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's one of those guys where he definitely plays down against pressure. I'm, I'm looking at his PFF page right now. Um, he, he had a 118, uh, NFL quarterback rating when there was no pressure on him, uh, last year with a, a 90.1 PFF passing grade. Um, with or under pressure, seventy three point zero NFL uh, quarterback rating with a fifty seven point nine PFF passing grade. Um, he has a, and this is sort of well documented, but he's one of those guys who has an issue of sort of locking on, uh, you know, to his to his first read, and um, and he sort of has a hard time sometimes pulling off of it, and when when he gets when 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 there's there's pressure on him early sometimes even though he's a super smart kid it's like there's too many things going on through his brain and it's almost like there's a sort of paralysis where there's too much information going there and it's almost like he sort of like locks or freezes for a second and he's just not sure what to do sometimes you know and it's sometimes it's just like you'll see him just like fling the ball, mm-hmm. you know, like he'll just sort of fling the ball somewhere, you know, and, you know, just like whatever, um, you know, and, and you'll see, you'll see some wonky stuff like that, or else he'll just like chuck it at the first read, even if he's like covered or, you know, different stuff like this. Um, these are things where, you know, and I, I, I think an NFL team, like for instance, if we do see the Dolphins pass on Tua for Herbert, or if we do see a team, you know, try to jump the Dolphins for for Herbert, the idea, the banner of, you know, under the idea, you know, under which you would do this would be, it would be a coaching staff that would convince themselves of like, you know, Herbert only really has these, these, these couple sort of quirks and they are correctable. Herbert's a super duper smart kid. He has all the tools, you know, these are sort of processing things and, his coaching staff at Oregon clearly didn't teach him very well in this. He was in a, a system that, you know, did not uh, behoove his talents as well as it could have. His supporting cast wasn't very good. 
you know, they should have been doing, you know, more, you know, have a more, uh, more horizontal elements in the, in, in their offense. And they should have been also stressing the defense, uh, or I'm sorry, they, there should have been more vertical elements and also more horizontal elements. Um, and there just sort of was, and there's a lot of, you know, intermediate stuff and like whatnot. And, um, and it, anyway, I, I think that's how you would talk yourself into, into Justin Herbert. So we'll, we'll see if it happens. Um, but there, I agree with you. There's a couple warts there. Right. And I mean, there's like, there is with most quarterbacks coming out. So there's obviously like we all say it's situation based, really how we can really tap in these guys potential. I do see a situation if he did go to the chargers where his arm talent will be tapped into. Cause you're right. He does have one of the best arms in this draft. He's very accurate. Um, it's just the way he handles pressure and crumbles is what bothers me to the point. You raised a great point with those statistics. It's a huge gap right there. So that's just my take on Justin Herbert. Uh, obviously, he deserves to be where he's he's going to be looking like a top 10 pick no matter what. So I get it. Uh, I would like to see him with the Chargers, though, personally, not in, instead of the Dolphins. Um, that's a discussion for a different day. Let's move on to some dates. Yeah, and I just, you go ahead. I, I just want, yeah, I want to make one other point. You know, for, for people out there, you know, people's quarterback stats, every single quarterback, their stats are going to drop under pressure. I mean, right. that, that's just a given. For uh, Tua's last year, he had a, he had a very similar uh, drop to Herbert's, but you have to keep in context, Tua was playing in games last year that he should not have been, where right. in my opinion, he was only being rolled out because uh, Mr. Saban wanted to perhaps win some ball games when uh, Tua was maybe uh, a bit compromised and, and should not have been playing on, you know, with, with, with the medical issues that, that he had at that time. Um, but if you go to the year before when, when Tua was mostly sound, um, you know, his numbers with no pressure, you look at his NFL quarterback rating, 141.6 with no pressure and then under pressure, 110.0. So, you know, I mean, like, you know, again, going back to your original point, like, uh, you, you know, we're, we're really looking for quarterbacks who, um, you know, when they're under pressure, when there's bullets flying, they're still able to succeed. They're still able to, you know, to, uh, get the throw off, make the play, because in the NFL, you're going to see a lot more of that. Right. Absolutely. So let's, let's get into the Jordan Love talk. There's some things that I love about Jordan Love, honestly, and like you said in your article, do you really how you feel about Jordan Love talk, says more about you than it does about him. Um, obviously, the talent at Utah State wasn't the best either. You can use the same excuse that you do for Herbert, you do for Love. I, there's there's definitely some grooming. He's definitely a guy that I believe you take and you keep him on the bench for a year and let him learn from your starter that's already in the building. I think it's going to take a creative offensive coach like it did with Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'm not saying Love is Mahomes, but I think it's going to take that type of coach to really tap into what he can what he can overall do. My perfect fit for him is the Saints, and we did get this question asked to us, is how, what's the earliest you could see Jordan Love going? To me, I think there's just too many what-ifs to take him in the, within the top 10. I don't think the Dolphins or the Chargers are really a team that, are, that should be considering him. I'm looking at the Saints. And I'm looking at Drew Brees' um, We already know it's his last year. I would like to see Jordan Love sit behind Drew Brees for a year, learn the game of football more from a really that type of veteran is a perfect situation. And then Sean Payton 
goes hand in hand with that. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jordan Love? Where are we at with that? And just go ahead and give your best fit opinion wise. Yeah, so I'll go with the the second one first because that's a it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, I've seen some plugged in people. I, I I forget if it was McShay or someone recently mocked him. I think six to the Chargers. So there, some people have been inching him. Like, well, that's not even inching him. That's that's shooting him way up the board in in mocks. Um, I I don't think he's going to go that high. Uh, I I, th- I think that's shooting it a bit too high. Um, I think the earliest he will go is in the teens. Now that's that's a you know I mean obviously that's a wide range, um, but I could see a, a trade up there. Um, you know that's that's more what I could see um, because obviously when the second that Herbert comes off the board. The, the the remaining quarterback needy teams, you're going to turn your attention to one guy, and it's going to become a sort of race to get him. And then you have a series of teams that don't need a quarterback. Well, some of these teams are are really uh, sort of draft equity strapped and are are sort of desperate to move back. And so you're going to have a match, um, you know. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether, you know, for instance a team like the New England Patriots who has been linked to Jordan Love, like will they be willing to package picks to move up from 23, uh, for instance? You know, uh, you know, will we see something like that? That That is not a Bill Belichick thing. You know, he, he does not typically move up, especially for quarterback. You know, we haven't, we haven't seen that. So, but is that, is that something that we could see? Uh, we'll see, you know, would, would the Saints be willing to do that? Um We'll, we'll see on that, too. Um, you know, another team, obviously, to, to look for in there that he has been linked to is Las Vegas. Um, they have they have two quarterbacks right now that uh, they claim that they're high on. Um, I, I, I don't I don't know about that, you know, but I, you know, I, I think maybe you're going to want to be looking for a quarterback of the future. Um, they they have those two first round picks. They're sitting at, at twelve and nineteen. Um, you know, I I don't know. I mean, if if mm-hmm. if they like if they really like Jordan Love, I mean, and you know, if if you use twelve on somebody else, and then you're all of a sudden you're at nineteen. If you really like Jordan Love, and he's still there, that that might be the time to pop him. But if you you know, of course, if you really do like him, you, you probably have to take him at twelve because. You might get hopped at that point, but I would say in the teens, and and I would almost look for a trade up because there, there's enough smoke there where I, I I just feel like I you know if it, again if, if if you're a team like New England or a team like New Orleans, like these teams that we talk about as uh, sort of like glove like fits for love, you know, like in, in terms of like mock draft scenarios, I just don't feel like if 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 you really want Jordan Love, I don't feel like on draft day when we get to Thursday night here in a week and a half or, you know, we're getting close now, but I, I, I don't feel like once that's happening, I don't feel like you can be comfortable just sitting in your slot, hoping and waiting for Jordan love to slip down to you. I, I feel like that would be too much of a risk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So let's just move on to the come up with secondary uh, tier guys. Let's start off with Jalen hurts. who has been picking up some steam depending on who you hear from either people love him or they hate him 
Um, I had Mark Schofield on a couple episodes ago, and he said at the combine there was some smoke that Jalen Hurts could sneak into the back end of the first round, maybe possibly be a high day two pick, which, again, it's a quarterback thirsty lead. Anything could happen in that position. Um, there's parts of Jalen Hurts' game I love, and there's parts that just drive me insane, especially when you consider how long he holds on to the ball. I think Oklahoma's offensive line was a really big uh He's going to owe them some of his uh, rookie paycheck is what I, basically what I'm saying. Um, and, of course, yes, C.D. Lamb there. They have some weapons at Oklahoma. So, it, it, to me, it's this guy holds the ball way too long. He doesn't get his feet planted that well into throws where he's just overthrowing them at that point. Um, what are your, What is your take on Jalen Hurts? Do you see this is a type of situation where this guy can come in, maybe develop behind like a Ryan Tannehill in a, in a North Smith's offense and maybe eventually take over as a starter? Or is this a guy that we're just – uh, hyping up, and he's just going to be on the bench most of his career. Did you say? Did you say Mark Schofield? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that guy. Uh, so do I. We he's had, a great. We, he's he's a great. Yeah, we had, uh, he's he's a he's a tremendous dude. We had we had dinner one one night with a, a group of guys in Indy at the at the combine in, in February. Great dude, great dude. Um, as far as Jalen Hurts, um, I comp him to Ricky Rubio. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, uh, you know, and, and just to explain that one, you know, I, I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, uh, mm-hmm. so this is a comp that was that was near and dear to my heart. Uh, Ricky Rubio, for non-NBA fans, was uh, a point guard who was awesome at passing and could not shoot whatsoever. And so, you know, watching Ricky Rubio's career, he was a guy who, you know, teams would play like way off. And so, like, when the Timberwolves had shooters around him, Ricky Rubio was a plus because, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky Rubio could push the ball up the court and he could, you know, hit guys who were open in the corner and they would hit the three and then Rubio would go down and he would defend, you know, and stuff like that. But when Rubio was around, and this was typically the case because the Timberwolves front office was full of idiots, David Kahn and, like, you know, Kevin McHale and people like this. Right. He was he was typically around, like, these slashers that couldn't shoot, like, you know, Corey Brewer and stuff like this. And um, and so he, he would pass it to guys that, that couldn't shoot. And, he you know, at that point, Ricky Rubio doesn't have any real utility. Um, and so that's the way that I see Jalen Hurts. Um, and, and this sort of goes to, to your point, I think, which is, like, he he has to have a, a couple different things. I, I I ranked him fifth. I I am pretty bullish on him, but it's it, it's sort of like bullish with an asterisk. I think I think that he can be an okay NFL starter potentially, but he, it's going to require that a team not only sort of build an offense specifically for him you know in 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 a similar way to the that the ravens did with lamar jackson hurts is definitely not lamar jackson but you would have to build an offense very specifically for jalen hurts because he has very clearly delineated strengths and very clearly delineated weaknesses which we can talk about in a second but i also think that you need very very good players around him because i don't believe that jalen hurts is a singular talent I do think, though, that he is a, a pretty decent facilitator um, who, again, he has a few sort of standout strengths. And, 
you know, to, to be a little bit more specific about that, he is a tremendous runner. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just, just to start off with, he, um, as a kid, he was a, a Texas like state powerlifting champion. I mean, the, the guy is a horse. Like, I mean, like a really, really strong runner. Like, um, you know, I mean, he's fast, but he is also strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like, uh, like we're, we're talking like a, a sawed-off Cam Newton type um, runner. Um, so you have that element where where he's going to bring the mobility, not, you know, again, not in the same way of Lamar Jackson. It's not like an electrifying kind of thing, but it's like a, a power kind of um, thing. And, and, of course, Hurts is athletic. He, he tested uh, almost in the 96th uh, spark uh, percentile. Um, and then the other thing is well, a couple other things. He does not turn the ball over period. Mm-hmm. He doesn't throw interceptions. He does not fumble the ball. Like he takes dang good care of the ball. He always has, and he always will. So, so that's the other thing. And then the last thing is what he is good at as a, he doesn't have a great arm. You know, he doesn't have a good arm. His, his arm is, is thoroughly mediocre and he's not great at reading the field. You know, he's like at Alabama, he was essentially just a, a one read guy. Right. You know, it was like, a, you know, it was like, a, you know, they did a lot of zone read stuff, play action stuff. And then like, it would be like, you'd have like, you know, Amari Cooper or whatever would be like streaking across the middle, Calvin Ridley or whatever. He'd be streaking across the middle of the field and, you know, he would just throw it to him, you know, and then he wouldn't have to do anything else. Um, you know, at Oklahoma, it got a little bit better. Um, but you know, and so sometimes you would, you would see, there were a few times where you saw Hertz go through full progressions, but it's still not, I mean, we're fleeting, you know, and you, you, you just didn't see it very much. I mean, it's, it's still predominantly, um, sort of paint by numbers, you know, as, as, as far as that goes. So, um, but again, what he is good at is in the intermediate area. He's he's very accurate there, and and that started at Alabama, you know, with that one read stuff, like, you know, off of the play action game because what, you know, he's he's tremendous with the RPO stuff. He's been doing that since the start, and you know, with, with the play action as well. And so, if if you ever run heavy offense, like if you want to commit to that. And then you want to have a passing game that sort of plays off of that, you know, and then and then just like, you know, have a have, have a passing game that's sort of like heavy off the play action. And then, you know, have a lot of throws over in the intermediate area and stuff like that, where you might not be taxing the defense deep so much, but you're going to take care of the ball, you know, your ball control kind of a thing, you know, like uh you know, there was a joke about the the Titans when they said they were going to try to have an exotic smash mouth type offense. Mm-hmm. I think if, you know, if, if you draft Jalen Hurts and you build an offense around him, that actually, the way that I'm conceiving of it, it actually would be an exotic smash mouth offense. Right, he would be perfect for the Titans to replace Mariota for me, in my opinion. I know that there's talks about the Raiders too, which I guess I could see if you're, their offensive line's pretty good and you're going to probably tell your game through Josh Jacobs at this point. Uh, those are two good fits I see there for him. It, it, like you said, there's tools are there, and then there's there's stuff that you love about him, and then there's stuff where you just have to limit so he doesn't make those mistakes. But uh, let's let's keep the quarterback discussion going. Let's get on to Jake Fromm. To me, this is the type of guy that is perfect for the NFL because of this game manager type mentality and uh, keeps the ball safe, doesn't really throw many passes on the field, so that would probably agitate you a little bit. But uh, to me, 
If I look at Josh McDaniels' offense in New England, this is the perfect quarterback that they should target in round two because I personally don't think that they should go quarterback in the first round. I think you should play it safe this year. You like Jared Stenham a lot. Give him a try. Get a guy in the second round like Jake Fromm to replace him if it doesn't uh, meet your expectations. Try to win with that defense and his game-managing style and then maybe attack quarterback in, in 2021 with Trevor Lawrence, Dungeon Fields coming out because you can, you can take a quarterback in the second round and go ahead and take one in the first round the next year and nobody's going to look at you sideways, honestly. I mean, even the Cardinals at this point took Rosen and still took Murray. Um, but what's your take on Jake Fromm? And, I mean, you don't have to talk about where his, his best fits are because I think we can name a ton of them just from the way he plays football. But what's your take on him? Yeah, well, I, I, I'll toss out uh, Carolina and Chicago. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a creative, yeah, creative play, basically, you know, with Fromm, creative play callers um, that can facilitate open looks for him because what we know with with Fromm is he is a guy that will read the full field and he is a guy that will get the ball out quickly Um, and prior to the end of last year he was an accurate quarterback you know he um, the 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 knock on him the reason I have him quarterback six I have him behind Hertz it it just has to do with that lower ceiling thing you know he's he's a stationary pocket passer um, you know, he's, he's only six, two and he, his arm isn't, you know, he doesn't have a bazooka, you know, it, it's, it's, he just sort of has an average, average arm. Um, but like, you know, he does have these other things going for him where if, if he's with a, again, a creative guy and like, you know, you talk about like the Joe Brady offense, like you go back to Joe Burrow, like Burrow didn't have a cannon for an arm, mm-hmm. but like, you know, every single play you have like four or five guys out there. Joe Burrow all of a sudden was in heaven. Like the year before, he only had, you know, three receivers out on every route. Well, all of a sudden, you know, when there's five out there, it plays up his ability to see the entire field. And, you know, you go back to Georgia's offense, they have more of a traditional offense, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, J- Jake Fromm might find where, you know, if, if he was in an offense where there's more receivers out there, he might like that a bit more. So, Anyway, I, I I think that that might be his his best fit, um, but I I agree with you. I mean, like that's just the book on Jake Fromm. I mean, he's he's not a very interesting prospect to talk about because it is just the game manager thing. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he can sort of elevate um, situationally above that station, depending on the supporting cast around him and the play caller. You know, you you could see seasons potentially out of Jake Fromm that are a bit better, you know, just because of those things. And you could also see where he might not ever do much, just depending on the situation. You know, I, I think he's a guy who's going to be very heavily uh, tied to whatever situation that he's in, just because he doesn't have the natural, in, in my opinion, doesn't have the natural ability to sort of pull himself up by the bootstraps. He's, he's going to be very heavily tied to the circumstances around him, I think. Right. At worst case scenario, that's the ideal back of quarterback you want in the NFL, in my opinion. So if, if it doesn't work Absolutely. out for him as a starter, at least he has a career as a backup in this league. But let's finish up with Easton real quick. I know you're not high on him. I wasn't high on him either. Uh, obviously, how he handles pressure is a huge reason why. He stays way locked into his first read. When you watch this film, he, you, I could tell from the video where he's going with the ball. Um, I don't. To me, if if you want to put him in the best situation for his career to at least maybe fix some of those things, it would be with Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay, and to back up Tom Brady, obviously, it'd be the greatest thing for him 
at the for his uh, career. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see Eason transitioning that. I feel I don't see NFL starter there. Uh, you want to hit on that real quick? Yeah, I I would agree with you. I I compare him to him. Well, I call him Hackenberg 2.0. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a ton of similarities there. You know, watching Hackenberg at Penn State and then watching Eason at at Washington and first, you know, first at Georgia, obviously. Right. Um, you know, the good thing about Eason is, and I get why people talk themselves into him, you know, and, and Connor and I were talking before the show of like, there are guys that like, you know, evaluate draft prospects who are like coming from the NFL, you know, that don't watch a lot of college football live and they watch cutups, you know, of like the prospects and then they sort of put grades on guys. And if you were just to watch Eason's cutups and you caught him in the right games this year, um, it, specifically when he's playing crappy defenses, then this is going to go to your point of, of not having pressure in his face. There was, there was uh, you know, this handful of games this year where Eason just went off because he was playing teams like Hawaii and, you know, you know Eastern Washington or, you know, Oregon State or, you know, like t- t- teams like this, like really crappy teams that couldn't put pressure on him. And he would just light him up because he's a stationary pocket passer with a bazooka for an arm, you know, and like he will make some of the absolute prettiest throws that you'll ever see. So like if you see if you see like the highlight reel of Eason's like, you know, 15, 20 best throws last year, and then you put that up against the 15, 20 best throws of like the other quarterbacks, you might be inclined to say, holy crap, like maybe Eason is like one of the top couple quarterbacks in this class. But the, the issue is, is that he is absolutely horrific under under pressure, you know. And so when you're considering his entire body of work, it's it's really hard to get around on on that, you know, like on him as a prospect because of that. He he just hasn't been able to do that. And, and quarterbacks that are terrible under pressure, they typically do not translate well. And I, I got a stat for you, um, you know, going back to PFF. When when Eason did not when he was facing no pressure he graded out ninety one point seven as a thrower that's an elite throwing grade the threshold's basically ninety plus is elite when he was facing pressure thirty seven point six which is basically sub awful mm-hmm. like I feel like I could get a thirty seven point six grade I mean that's it, it's basically as bad as you can get and it was one of the lowest grades in the country. Um, so, so he was literally one of the worst quarterbacks in the country under pressure. Now, th- this is a guy who's going to the NFL now and is supposed to be, you know, you know, a second round pick or whatever. And some team's going to look at him as the quarterback of the future. And, you know, he was performing like, you know, future accountants when when he was under pressure. And you saw this against the good defenses he played where, um, you know, he really came apart against some good defense because they got pressure on him and um you know he he panicked you know and he and in some games that that panic went into the next drive and then he was under pressure again and throw another interception and you know thing things got bad and that that's that's just tough that's that's one where it's it's hard to coach them out of that i i would have liked to have seen easton go back to school um but what are you going to do right so let's get into the running backs real quick. I know a lot of people aren't really. This is probably the draft where you could probably say that the running backs are probably the most mute so far, in my opinion, because I feel like you see little coverage on them whatsoever. But 
What running backs do you feel come in and make a day one impact right away? I think, well, I think there's going to be a lot. Yeah, um, there is some good guys in this class. I love Jonathan Taylor. DeAndre Swift is probably the type of offensive weapon you could use in the modern-day football. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU, it, perfect James White comparison to me, in my opinion. Uh, J.K. Dobbins I'm pretty high on as well. Cam uh, Akers I'm iffy on. Zach Moss I like. Kayshawn Vogt from Vanderbilt I think is a type of committee back who's going to boost your uh, – running back by committee approach at the next level. But, yeah, keep going. Go ahead. I I would toss A.J. Dillon into that group as well. Yes. I, yeah, I, I think that there's some sleeper appeal with, with A.J. Dillon. I, you know, this this running back class is uh, is is very deep. And so, like, I think you're going to be able to get some some value there, um, you know, on, you know, potentially on a guy like – AJ Dillon. An- another guy that I like a little bit more than some others is Eno Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a guy that um, he's polarizing. You know, in the same way that, uh, for instance, last year Motor Singletary was polarizing, and I I comp the two, um, and I, I make the joke in my column that I, I sort of have a, a type. You know, I, I sort of fetishize a specific kind of running back, and Eno just so happens to fall into that category, as did motor i i just like the uh the smaller running backs that uh maybe don't test the best but are extremely difficult to tackle you know which is something that uh you're not able to test at the combine but you know it's it's something that's obviously you know very important you know and and you know clearly and uh you know you know is just a, a guy who's difficult to tackle but he can do so many different different things you know he catches the ball and um i, I think he's going to be a good zone running back he's another guy I toss out there um, Antonio Gibson is a guy that I see as a running back. Um, you know, others see him as a receiver. I, I don't think he's going to be able to play receiver because he can't run routes. Um, he's a very, very raw player, but he is a playmaker. Like you see that guy with the, with the ball in his hands, he is very, very difficult to tackle. And so I, I would put him in the backfield where you can just shuttle the ball right off to him. Um, and, you know, perhaps get him to be a contributor earlier in his career. It's going to take a little bit of time with him because at Memphis, um, you know, he didn't play a ton of snaps in part because, you know, it was like tough for him, like with the playbook and like stuff like that. It, but just a fabulous athlete. You know, he's, he's six foot uh, 228 um, and he tested. Um, I got I got my numbers here. Hello, my fellow sports fanatics. If you are like me and love talking about sports, I have the perfect app for you. It's called U-Stadium, a social media app dedicated to sports, which allows you to talk about each league with fellow fans, get instant breaking news notifications straight to your phone, and debate the sports we all love. Download the app with either Apple App Store or Google Play Store and join discussions about your favorite team or the rest of the leagues. U-Stadium has contests and point systems to win real prizes like an NFL jersey of your choice. You can find U-Stadium on Twitter and Instagram at U-Stadium, U-S-T-A-D-I-U-M, for more information. Log on to U-Stadium today and join me as we talk about sports. Would you say I'm off base? Would you say I'm off base comparing him to Dexter McCluster, though? 
What's that? Would you say I'm off base comparing Antonio Gibson to Dexter McCluster, though? Because I have trouble, like you said, I don't. A lot of people think he's going to be this wide receiver at the next level. I think that's honestly, if you go on draft Twitter, that's the consensus opinion right now. Is there's no way he isn't wide receiver at the next level and a playmaker. I think you can get more playmaking ability out of him than you did Dexter McCluster. But to me, that's the same type of player. Yeah, I, yeah, I disagree with the wide receiver thing. I mean, like in theory, yeah, I get it. You know, like you would, you would, you know, sort of want a guy like that. You know, you, when when you're sort of thinking about it, it's like, oh yeah, you know, he's he's so athletic. We put him out there, like, you know, um, uh, you know, just conceptually, that's what you want to do. Your brain wants to put Gibson at receiver. The issue is, is I've seen him play receiver before. There's a reason that Memphis did not play him on the outside, you mm-hmm. know, like because the guy literally can't run routes, you know, like at, at a certain point, you, you you just have to cede to reality. And the reality of it is, is that Antonio Gibson can't run routes, but he absolutely is a playmaker. Um, you know, I mean. Heck, if, you know, if his NFL team, you know, he's with some, you know, genius that can snap his fingers and all of a sudden Antonio Gibson, you know, can can run routes and, he you know, he has an understanding of that, great. But Antonio Gibson's a guy who, you know, again, world-class athlete. You know, he t- again, tested almost in the 90th percentile at six foot 228, and yet he had a hard time getting snaps at Memphis, you know, a G5 school. And Memphis has one of the smartest, or had one of the smartest uh, offensive coaches in the nation, Mike Norvell, who's now at, at Florida State because of that. And it's not because of like any other reason outside of the fact that, that Gibson had a really hard time, number one, learning the playbook, and number two, running routes. And so, you know, they, they had him in that, you know, H back role that, that Tony Pollard was in, you know, before um, this past season. And he finally started to get more snaps. But, um, I, I just think, you know, at this point, what he is is a playmaker. And what you have to start him in is a role where you can get him the ball where there's not too much stuff going on. You, you can just get him the ball. And I think, you know, year one, the way to do that is, you know, early on is, is, is as a running back. And so that's, that's what I would do. I mean, if, if you try to, to, to make him into a receiver, it is going to be a multi-year project that may never get done. And so I, that, that I think, you know, very well may never get done. So I, I, I just think, you know, if, if, if you're going to embark on the Antonio Gibson thing, and I, I would advocate for it, I, I, I rank him as the ninth running back. But, um, you know, again, I, I would do it at running back because I think there's actually a path there where Antonio Gibson could become an above-average NFL running back where – it's hard for me to see it at receiver just because of that impediment, you know, where Antonio Gibson's telling reporters, like, I'm having a really hard time with the playbook, like it's, you know, third and fourth year on campus. And, and now he's going to the NFL. It's just, it, it's, it's really hard for me to get there. And I, I know draft Twitter, you know, they might not care as much about this stuff, but like, like his NFL coaching staff is going to care more. Mm-hmm. I promise you. No, I care about this stuff. Absolutely. Actually. Cause here, I'll, I'll explain why when we get into our wide receiver debate. Let's just start that off real quick. C.D. Lamb's your wide receiver one. Completely agree. I think he's the best wide receiver, most com- complete wide receiver in this draft. I know the comps to DeAndre Hopkins are well known. I, I, I agree completely with him. Uh, the way the guy catches the ball out of his frame is is so much DeAndre Hopkins-like. Uh, so C.D. Lamb is your wide receiver one. 
we don't have to discuss that much in doing it. I think the consensus on the top three is all the same. I think when you're looking at towards the end is when people are starting to question. But uh, I have Ruggs number two just because of the ceiling. I think you're looking at a guy who can have like an Antonio Brown type impact in the NFL. Uh, that's the only reason why I put him a little bit over Judy. But again, neck and neck really for me too. Um, so we really don't have to discuss those guys that much. I feel like if you watch them enough, you know that they're ridiculous athletes and there's a reason why they're the top three of this class. Um, is there anything you want to hit on on any of those three guys that we already don't know? No. Yeah. No, I, think, it, I think you got it. It's pretty much self-explanatory. Those guys are bona fide studs and they're going to be stars in the league, I would assume, uh, as long as they stay healthy and everything. But number four, you have LaVisca Chanel. And now my it's crazy because my wide receiver rankings are eerily similar to yours. Uh, I would... Right now, I have Chanel switch with Jalen Rieger. That's pretty much the difference between your board. But I love Chanel just because I don't think I've ever seen a player like him. And you hit it best in your thing. Colorado schemed their whole entire offense through him, so you didn't, you don't, you don't really know what he can do because of them using him the way that they used him. I mean, forty-two carries the last couple of years, guys just bounced off him. They 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 schemed pretty much everything through him with the screens. Uh, getting the ball in his hands immediately, carrying the ball, you name it. The thing that I struggle with Chenault the most as somebody who's an aspiring film junkie and watching his tape is, I don't know if he can run routes, man. I mean, we don't know because he was barely asked to do most complicated routes. That was where I really struggle with his projection at the next level because I'm going to need my guy, if I'm going to rank him this high, to, to be able to run routes, a, at least a close to an NFL route tree. I know a lot of those guys get knocks on that because, like, the Mimses of the world where Baylor, Baylor only runs, like, four routes as is. And um, Arizona State barely asked Brandon Ayuk to run any different routes either. So it's hard to really knock these guys on that. But I do question Chenault's route running at the next level. But other than that, what a playmaker. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that you said it well, um, you know, and uh, the the usage thing. I mean, yeah, the, 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 there's a couple of things to unpack there. Um, you know, I, I I think you know number one for people is yeah, I mean, you know, he he was used. He, I mean, the, the entire offense was was funneled through him, and he was used in these these various ways. You know, he was used as a wildcat uh, quarterback. He was. You know, he was used out wide. He was used as an H-back. At, at times, they, they even lined him up at tight end. I mean, they, they were putting him all over the place. And, you know, he, he got a lot of throws behind the line of scrimmage. And it was like, you know, LaVisca just, you know, you know break a bunch of tackles and, and make a play. And, um, you know, they also threw it to him downfield. And, you know, threw it, I mean, like, they threw it to him everywhere. And, you know, then they ran it a bunch and, you know, everything like that. And he's a guy who is, you know, basically the dimensions of Ezekiel Elliott, um, and, you know, what was crazy about him is, you know, starting in uh, 2018, you know, where he sort of like, you know, burst onto the scene or whatever is, um, he, he was a guy who was like, it, it was one of those things where it was like, oh my gosh, like he's taking on entire teams by himself, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like one on 11 here, you know, I mean, and, um, it, it's almost too bad that, uh, he didn't have a better quarterback and he didn't have, you know, better talent around him. You know, I, uh, I'm not a big Steven Montez guy, you know, and, and the, uh, you know, and, and also, you know, you, you talk about like the, the offensive play callers at, at Colorado and specifically this last year, I, I don't know what the hell they were doing. Um, but like, 
you know, to your point about like, you know, as far as the routes go, first of all, the, the offense was bereft of any creativity outside of let's just get the ball in LaVisca's hands however we can, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, I, I suppose there's an element of creativity in that, but that, that, that was essentially it. But they, they were not throwing the ball to LaVisca, um, you know, down the field too often and certainly in, in varied ways, you know, especially when you have a quarterback who theoretically can push the ball uh, down the field, you know, you would have liked to have seen that more, but Montez just wouldn't do it. Um, and so like, yeah, I tend to think that, that LaVisca is not going to have issues with that. And I, I suppose that's why for me, um, I have him higher than a lot of people do. Um, I, I have him as wide receiver four. Um, because I tend to think, you know, LaVisca dominated, you know, with, within the context of, of what he did or, you know, what he could do, you know, breaking all these tackles and like whatever, because I watched him in the moment, you know, I, I saw him fighting off gangs of people, you know, I mean, like the degree of difficulty of what LaVisca Chanel was doing, it was so much higher than some of these other guys, you know, who were in single coverage a lot and, you know, they, they didn't have to do all these things. They, they didn't have to take all these wildcat snaps. They didn't have to, you know, motion around, you know, the formation all the time and do all this nonsense. Like, you know, it was just like, you know, lining up in one spot over and over and over again. You know, Denzel Mims, it was basically just run go routes every single time. You know, like for Chenault, it was just like a, a whole different thing. And I know that LaVisca Chenault is a stud athlete. I mean, we didn't get to see it at the Combine because, of course, he got hurt, which is – the other issue on his evaluation, I, I think that's that's the one where it's like, you know, is LaVisca Chenault, is he going to remain healthy in the NFL? You know, and it's tough because I'm, I'm not a doctor and I didn't stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, um, you know, and maybe I'm just wearing my, you know, gold and black Colorado Buffalo glasses, you know, with, with my evaluation on them. Cause I, I just, I really like the prospect. Um, but you know, I, I just wonder if some of those durability issues, if it comes down to the fact that because of the way that they used him, where it was just, you know, this ridiculous usage, um, you know, where he had to take all of these shots in really close quarters in a way that, that he's not going to be required to do that um, in the NFL. You know, I, I think certainly, you know, in the NFL, you want to use him, you know, you want to find creative ways to, to get him the ball. So I, I'm not suggesting not to do that, you know, totally, you know, to, to take all that stuff away and, you know, just try to turn him into a straight, you know, outside receiver, whatever. But, um, you know, the way that Colorado was doing it, it was like, you know, sort of all the way on the one end of, of, of one polarity. And uh, I, I don't think that they did him, or I I believe that they did him a disservice with with his usage. So I, I wonder if that played a part in it. So that's you're you're echoing the sentiments I keep saying. I think the high usage is what goes into the wear and tear. I don't think his injuries are going to be that much of a hindering factor in his NFL career because he's not going to be used yeah. like that at the next level. They're not going to ask him to carry the ball forty two times over the past couple of seasons. They're not going to ask to throw all these screen passes to him and expecting to make something happen out of nothing. Um, I agree with you on that completely, and that's what I feel like. Uh, dude, I mean, the guy's a playmaker. That's the type of wide receiver you want on your team. I just think you have to really believe your wide receiver coach could tap into uh, the route tree and get in his technique to be 
able to run that route tree because Colorado kind of did him a disservice by not uh, having those type of concepts for him to even start off at. So I think that's my hardest projection with him. But again, I think the injuries obviously probably drop him down the draft boards. You're looking at a second round type of guy, but I think he's going to play like a first round talent in my opinion. But again, you and I are higher on him than maybe draft Twitter is, uh, but it is what it is. I, I like him a lot. Uh, let's get into Denzel Mims though, since you just mentioned him. I, I love Dims, uh, excuse me, I love Mims too. Uh, I've been advocate for him over the last two months. The thing that you hit on the most that frustrates me the most for him, I think a lot of people question his route tree, which again, you have to really understand the Baylor's offense to really know why his route tree is the way it is. Um, people come at him from his, for his tracking, his ball tracking skills, which I think it's either hit or miss. Either he tracks it really well or he doesn't, I, which, I mean, you can make the same argument for NFL wide receivers yourself is really the thing with me is his hands it's so Amari Cooper like where he'll make these catches that he shouldn't make like you said in your rankings article and then he just drops some really you questionable passes I think once he hones that skill and I, I think it's going to be an issue with him throughout his NFL career because as you see like with a guy like Amari Cooper who I just mentioned that was always a knock on his game it's something that he can obviously improve like Cooper did but I think that's always going to be the one thing that frustrates you the most about men's on the field but this is a guy to me where I can see you plug him in at the X wide receiver spot and you have a trusted wide receiver in the long term. I, I've compared, I, I see that you have DJ Shark on your article, but to me, this looks like a Devontae Parker type wide receiver. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could. I, I yeah, I, 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 I could see that. Um, yeah, and, you know, talking about the route running stuff. That was a usage thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, like, um, you know, people need to understand, first of all, that Baylor's offense, it's not this, you know, like, you know, I've, you know, going back to draft Twitter, you know, I've seen some of this stuff of like, you know, you know, when people saw my rankings, like, how could you like Mims that much? Like, you know, Baylor, Baylor receivers always bust. And it's like, okay, like, uh, it's not the same offense. Like the Brioses are gone. Okay. They've been, you know, Art's, Art's been uh, excised from college football and Kendall is, you know. I don't even know where Ken, I, I think he's at Arkansas now. He's been at a different school every single season. But, um, you know, with, with, with Matt Rule last year, um, you know, Mims predominantly ran uh, two routes on the outside. I mean, you know, a, a little bit more, but it was, it was basically, if you want to really simplify it and boil it down, it was uh, running fly routes, going deep, and then he ran slants. And he did both uh, very well. Um, but you know, it was, it was predominantly like, let's chuck it up to Denzel and, and then let's try to hit him across the middle. And his quarterback, Charlie Brewer, who had a, a really good season the year before, um, you know, in terms of accuracy, did, did not have a great year last year. And so like, you know, Mims had to make some, uh, really crazy circus catches last year and he, he, he converted, uh, you know, quite a few, you know, and, um, but you know, back to your point, you know, I was talking about in the column, like. He, he did have some uh, pretty bad concentration drops and, and, and but you know, I, I want to be clear that like um, in 2018 um, drops were a huge issue for Mims. And mm -hmm. I think that, um, and, and they became less so last year, like his, his game um, took a noticeable step up uh, last year. I think that in part, you know, I, I don't, I don't know anything about this, but, I think that Mims might have been frustrated with his role 
uh, in 2018 because, you know, if people will recall, Baylor brought in Jalen Hurd and converted him into a receiver. And, you know, what they were doing, it was a lot of like, you know, having Jalen Hurd, you know, in, in the sort of slot and then, you know, Jalen Hurd would sort of like, you know, run five yards of the field and then turn around. And it was a lot of throws to, to Jalen Hurd over the middle. And I think Mims got frustrated every every time just like being asked to sprint. And a lot of times the balls weren't coming to him, you know, and I, I think he might have been uh, frustrated because of that. And then, you know, maybe when they did, you know, maybe he wasn't as locked in as he should. Have. I'm not sure. But, you know, he, he had a down year in 2018. But um, this past season, there again, there was a noticeable jump up. He's always been an athletic kid. Uh, we weren't sure exactly how, you know, that, that he was going to be like that level of freak. I mean, like he went to the combine and, and blew the doors off of, uh, you know, off of Indy, um, you know, and, and showed to be a true, true freak. Um, you know, and then as far as the, the route running goes, that he he proved the concept in at the senior bowl which was one reason why thank you uh you know i i was sort of able to bump him up just a little higher feel a little bit more comfortable you know as far as is the eval because you know you can say when when you're doing this with the receivers sure you can do the thing where you're like yeah he ran a limited route tree and now but you can't just merely knock people down and disconnect critical faculty for every single guy that ran a, a limited route tree, because then all you're doing is you're refusing to acknowledge context, you know, in, in your evaluations, which means that, that you're refusing to acknowledge truth in the moment, which means that your projections aren't going to be based on anything in objective reality, which means that you're not going to be doing your job when you're, you're doing your, your rankings. Um, so, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm glad you hit on the Senior Bowl, though, just real quick, because that's exactly what I've been telling people that always come at me for... Because, uh, again, a lot of draft Twitter is either hit or miss on him. Um, when I see people say something about the route running, I'm like, well, did you watch the Senior Bowl reps? Because he picked up NFL concepts, uh, NFL route concepts perfectly at the Senior Bowl, I thought, at least. Um, the only one play I could think of that he had a bad rep was when he tracked the ball in the air, and he did a horrible job tracking it. But other than that, I thought, okay, that's enough to work with at the NFL level. Once you get him with an NFL wide receiver coach, you're fine. Um, I don't really see these really huge route running issues that everybody else does. I think his footwork is going to do well enough just to transition that to the next level. And if anything, the senior bowl performances, the reps on for the practice reps did enough for me, at least, to think that his route running is going to be successful at the next level. Um, again, like... He wasn't running them, like you said, so it's still a work in progress. But I thought the Senior Bowl showed enough uh, improvement and how quickly it happened. Just showed me that, yes, this is a guy you can work with at the next level. Um, it's a perfect X wide receiver to me. But let's keep Yeah, because he was, he, was, he was running. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was running fine routes there. I mean, it's, you know, it's a small, you know, it's a small sample size. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not completely a game scenario. Sure. But you also have to acknowledge that Denzel Mims has all the athletic gifts in the world mm-hmm. and that Baylor did not ask him to run more routes. So, like, you can't have it just the one way because you want it the one way. You know, like, if you're truly going to do the projection, you have to acknowledge the other data points as well. And so, like, does he have the physical ability to do it? Yeah, he does. 
did we see it? Yeah, we did. We saw it, we saw it at the senior bowl. So, um, you know, to me, there, there is, um, you know, certainly above a non, not, uh, you know, above a zero percent chance. And, you know, I, I think that there might even be a, a pretty decent chance that, that he could turn into a solid route runner and, you know, at his size, you know, with, with that athleticism, if he can add more elements into his game, we already know that he's going to be like a really sick downfield guy. And, you know, we already know that he, he could do the, you know, the slant thing, you know, all day. Um, if he can start to do hurt people with other stuff, that's when we start to get a scary receiver because he Denzel Mims right now, it's like, you know, it's like Mariano Rivera when he comes in, he's got two, two sick pitches you know, cornerbacks know it's going to be one or the other. But when Denzel Mims comes out with like three, four other pitches and you can't just sit dead red on the heat, it's going to play up his fastball even more, you know, like where it's it's just going to make the deep stuff even more dangerous. And then, of course, he's going to be able to beat you in these myriad other ways. So um, that's how, you know, that that's how he jumps up in the project. It's not just because he went to the combine and did this stuff. That's not the only reason why you bump him up. It's it, it, it's these other things. It's what he showed at the Senior Bowl. You know, it's it, it's what you saw at Baylor. It's the context of that situation. You know, and stuff like that. So there's there's a lot of things to like about Denzel Mims, in my opinion. I agree with you completely. So Jalen Rieger, now you have number six. I'm I'm higher on him than Justin Jefferson, like you are too. Uh, to me. I, we already know about the quarterback accuracy. The this quarterback was thirty percent accurate when targeting him. It's it's really uh, I think a lot of people kick because I am a huge Jalen Rieger fan to a fault. Uh, I tweet about him all the time because I'm so big on this guy. Uh, I use that excuse a lot, so people are even tired of listening to it now. But I don't think people really realize thirty one of your percent thirty one percent of your passes that are on target. That's an extremely low number. Of passes going your way that are accurate, uh, I, you cannot use that excuse enough, in my opinion, for his production. To me, I see that the comp the comp that was used on here was Brandon Cooks. I, I I've heard other people say it too. From a playmaking ability side, I completely get it. Uh, but to me, this guy uses his body way better than Brandon Cooks does, and can make the contested catches and opportunities way better than Brandon Cooks can, in my opinion, at least. Um, I his tape screams Steve Smith to me. I would have loved to like what we talked about earlier. I would have loved to, on the show before we started. I would have loved to see him with an actual accurate quarterback with the LSU's or the Alabamas of the world and see what he would have done there. But to me, this is a guy that has to be a first round pick because he's that talented. Um, if he falls out of the first round, whatever team gets in the second is getting an incredible playmaker. I I. I'm I'm crazy high on him though, man. I will say to to a fall, I am crazy high on him. But I think this is the type of Odell Beckham type wide receiver you're getting in this draft in Jalen Rieger. Yeah, you 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 are high on him. I I'm pretty high on him too. Maybe maybe not quite as high on him as you are, but I'm 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 quite high on him. I think I have um I'm six. Yeah, I think you do. maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I like him a lot. Yeah. And, and, and to your point, you know, and, and, you know, again, going back to, um, you know, baking in the context, which I'm really big on in, in evaluations, I, I think it's really, really important. And the, the big part of the context people need to keep in mind with, with Jalen Rigor is his quarterback play, you know, amongst his wide receiver class was the worst. You know, if, if you look at his, his 
you know, this past year, but also his entire college career. And you can, you compare it to these other guys. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm certainly the Alabama kids. I mean, even Chenault, you know, I was, I was clowning on Steven Montez, but Steven Montez compared to what TCU had, I mean, Steven, Steven Montez is, you know, Dan Marino compared mm-hmm. to those kids, you know, I mean, it, it, it it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, TCU had high school quarterbacks, you know, playing, playing quarterback or whatever, you know, Jalen Rigor barely had balls that were on target to him. And Rigor is a guy who does not have a huge, I mean, you know, he, he has all, he, he has a ton of things going for him. You know, he's, he's a high octane athleticism guy. You know, when he, when he has the ball in his hands, it's like a, hold your breath kind of scenario but um you know he's a guy who needs balls thrown to him on target when he's on the move and he's going to hurt you um and unfortunately for him he very rarely had balls thrown on target and you know so we didn't get to see it much you know specifically last year um to me that that's not indicative of what we're going to see going forward. If we get him in an offense where the the quarterback is accurate at all, um, you know, I think his game is going to play up, you know, way up. So I I think you're going to see a better, better player in the NFL than you saw in college. Absolutely. I mean, I like his vertical presence he brings to an offense. Obviously he's going to be way better after the catch once he gets that accuracy play. But I mean, he played with guys like Max Dugan, who no NFL career, uh, I think it was Shane Robinson, also not that good of a quarterback. It's just the guys he, like you said, the guys he played with are not even not even close to NFL talented type of quarterback. So and to perform the way he did, I was super impressed. I just I just love what I see on him on film. It jumps off to me. There's so much playmaking ability that's going to translate to modern day football. Um, I love him. And then I think a lot of people harp on his hands. I'm not sure if you're uh, one of those guys too, but I don't think it's as bad if if we're gonna talk about Denzel Mims's hands and heart because nobody really harps on him for his drops. I think this podcast is gonna be like the first one that really uh, highlights his drop problem Mims had in 2000, 2018. But I mean, you look at a year before in two thousand eighteen, Rieger only dropped four passes on a hundred thirty one targets, and then the year next year he goes into this and drops seven on on eighty eight, I believe. I, to me, that that could be frustration as well. I mean, these quarterbacks aren't putting the ball anywhere near him. Uh, I mean, to me, I don't think the drops are that big of a problem, but that's that's the number one thing that people are harping on now. They think he drops a lot of passes. But in my opinion, I, I don't think that's going to be a huge issue for him at the next level as much as it is going to be for Denzel Mims. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, like, you know, I, again, I, I think you, you have to acknowledge the fact that his, his catch radius isn't huge, but um, I'm not overly concerned with his hands. You know, I, I I used to be concerned about his quarterback play, but that's about to not be an issue anymore. So, All right, let's get into Justin Jefferson. I think he's really a hard prospect for a lot of people to dictate what he's going to do at the next level. Because I think we've all put majority of people have put him in the slot category. Me for one, I I think the slot is not a slight. I think that's a premium position in modern day football in this passing league. Uh, I love the Chris Godwin comp you have for him on here. That's the comp that I've been jumping around with between him and Juju. I think Chris Godwin is a perfect comp for Justin Jefferson. Um, I love Jefferson. He is a high usage type of slot wide receiver. He's a guy you can trust to catch eighty passes each year. Bail out your good quarterback be that security blanket in the middle of the field. But I am also one that thinks that he should stay prim- primarily in the slot. Uh, I don't think his 
Again, I know you look at 2018. Uh, it was a run first offense at LSU, really. I don't. When I look back on his 2018 film, I don't see enough separation in press. I know that he did make a ton of contested catches, which again for me screams he was still had the defender within a couple yards of him. Um, I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as some others do when he transitions to the NFL, when he does line up in the Z or the X in certain formations uh, to win outside as well as he did at LSU because, again, these are NFL-caliber corners that are going to be pressing him this time. Uh, He doesn't create enough separation for me to warrant him be a primarily an outside guy. I think you have to keep him in the slot, take advantage of the off coverage like Joe Brady did this past year. Um, What's your thoughts on Jefferson? Am I close to you? Do you think he's going to be better on the outside than most? Because I know that there's there's some people that absolutely think that he can be 100% successful on the outside, even if he has to be regulated to the slot position at the next level. But uh, to me, I don't. I, I I think that's too much of a projection. No, yeah, I I I'd keep him inside. Um, I I think he could. I think he could handle outside, but you know, I I think um, he projects as a tremendous NFL slot guy. So I don't know why we, we know that that's a starter. That's a starting position. You mm-hmm. know, I some people have a stigma with that, but I don't. You know, I he, he's I I think he could project to be one of the better NFL slot receivers. So I. Um, you know, to me, that's that's what I would be taking him at with the idea that that he could play some outside. You know, if if, if you need him to, um, you know, because we did see that in 2018, and um, you know, I mean, his his numbers weren't as good that year. But you know, if you look at like the number two receiver on on the team, like you know, only had like 28 catches that year. You know, it's like the the offense was way different, obviously. So, um, but yeah, I mean. Jefferson's an interesting case. I, you know, I, I rank him a little bit lower. I think I have um, uh, I have him seven, and wide receiver seven. And I've, I, and, you know, I've thought like, do do I have him too low? Um, because I, I I do like him as a receiver. It's just like this this class is, um, this receiver class is so stacked there has to be someone that you knock down, you know, and, and the, the guy that a lot of people have, have knocked down is, is Chanel, but I, I just happen to like Chanel a lot. Um, and so Jefferson seven is, is where I've settled at, you know, at the moment, but um, you know, I know that he's going to be able to beat people, um, you know, in, in, you know, in the middle, um, you know, he, he can, he can shake slot corners. Um, he's very comfortable, you know, sifting around traffic, um, and we know he can make plays on, on the ball, you know, um, maybe he's going to hold on to it and when he gets hit, you know, and, um, he's just very reliable, you know, uh, he, but you, you also have to acknowledge sort of, you know, in the inverse of, of what we were talking about with Jalen Regor is, you know, Regor had the lowest percentage of on target, uh, balls thrown to him last year. Jefferson had the highest. So, I mean, like, yeah, he put up the bazooka numbers, but he was also, you know, he was also this big slot who was playing against, you know, per, you know, in college, usually the, the slot guys are, you know, the lesser talented or sort of the run to the litter, you know, of, of, of that, that, you know, the college teams, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, set of cornerbacks or whatever. And um, Jefferson, you know, had a decided advantage because of his size. Um, and then uh, Burrow just had a special connection with him, obviously was, you know, is ridiculously accurate as well. And, 
um, Jefferson ended up leading the um, at least this receiver group in on-target balls. So everything was thrown, you know, right on the money. And you know, Jefferson's credit, he converted. But um, you know, I, I just wanted to make that point as well. Mm-hmm. So T. Higgins, I think a lot of people are down on him since his testing. Obviously, uh, to me, I'm not. I think you're looking at a guy that can play the X wide receiver in the NFL at a really high level. Uh, I it, what immediately jumps out to me is when a wide receiver in college can be press. I think that really makes me higher on them than most people get right away because uh, that's what you're going to look at right right when you start your day one in the NFL. Uh, of course, obviously the six four frame get, plays into that. The, his ability to climb the ladder and get every catch tossed up to him. I think he's a safer prospect than most want to say because of how he tested. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm lower on him. Um, you know, not. I, I think he's going to be a solid NFL player. You know, I I, I rank him eighth. Um, you know, I think when I, I come up with my final rankings, you know, I, I don't know, he'll be probably around, you know, 40, 45, you know, in, in, in that range, something like that. Um, you know, he's he's an outstanding contested catch guy. You know, I like it at Clemson. He was a guy that got down the field and you, you know, Trevor Lawrence would throw balls up and, and T would go up and get it. Like that's, that's what his game is. And, you know, everything comes off of that. Um, and, and outstanding. I mean, he's one, you know, one of the nation's best receivers at that, at that specific thing. Um, you know, but like what scares me about guys like that is just like you, you did not see a ton of separation and like at Clemson, if you look at the beginning of T Higgins, career, and of course, you know, he came in as a true freshman, a value true freshman, but a true freshman. Um, he didn't do a lot, you know, as a true freshman and as a sophomore, um, it, it, it took until when Lawrence took over when, when T Higgins was working with, with Kelly Bryant, you know, who's not a great pocket passer. Mm-hmm. Um, his, like Higgins wasn't doing as much, you know, his, his game was playing down. And then when Lawrence came in, all of a sudden, you know, T Higgins was a monster. And, you know, a big part of the reason for that was because, you know, Brian couldn't facilitate that part of T Higgins's game, but Trevor Lawrence could just serve it up on a platter downfield for Higgins. Um, you know, and, and I just think, you know, a guy like Higgins, because he can't create that separation for himself, it requires help. You know where he, you know he he needs that ball served up up to him. You know, uh, just just so you know, like guys that um that, that don't create that separation on their own. They, they they just require, like I say, they just require a little bit more help. And so, like you know, I I tend to favor you know guys more like you know we were talking before Reg or um, you know Jefferson Mims. Um, I you know I just tend to like guys like that a little bit more, but. Uh, um, you know, Higgins does have, uh, you know, some, some athletic limitations as far as, you know, moving side to side and stuff like that, that, um, you know, we saw manifest a bit, but I, I don't have, I don't have any questions. He'd be able to get down the field and catch the ball, you know, when, it, when it's throwing up. So. All right. So I like your Michael Pittman takes in your rankings to the Kenny Galladay, uh, comp is pretty on point to me. I think he's going to be a solid possession wide receiver at the next level. Um, we don't really have to get too much into him. Because I, I just think it's, if you look him up, it's all, just look at the film. I think a lot of people call him maybe a round, round three type pick, but I think he'll surprise people and go in the second round personally. Um, you have anything you want to add on Michael Pittman real quick? 
I I like Michael Pittman a lot. I you know in, in a deep receiver class, I think that he could be a, a steal. I mean, if if he gets to the third round in particular, I I certainly think even in this deep class that that he's a second round pick. You know, mm. and he gets he he's a guy that gets. He, he gets like a, a tab of a possession receiver, but I, I think that he could turn into more than that. You know, we, we saw him test very well in Indianapolis, and I, I just think that he could be more than that. We, we saw him catch the ball down the field at USC as well, and I think that we could see that in the NFL. But we know he's going to be a stud possession receiver too. His hands are awesome. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I like him a lot. Definitely top three in the class in hands if you want to compare him to like the Isaiah Hodgins and James Proches of the world. Uh, you have to put Michael Pittman in that conversation as well. Uh, last wide receiver I want to hit on on your rankings is Brandon Ayuk, who's really shot up draft boards like crazy lately. Uh, people look at him as a background, back of the end, first round pick. I tend to agree with him because I love the playmaking ability he offers, and I really value that more in wide receivers. So that's probably what my fault is to that, why I'm so higher on him than maybe you are. But, again, you look at his Arizona State offense that really the quarterback wasn't accurate when targeting him. Uh, not that many route concepts in that offense either. What's your take on uh, Brandon Ayuk and how do you really see him projecting? He's an interesting player. Um, you know, highly athletic. He has ridiculously long arms. Uh, you know, we only saw him as a wide receiver one at the FBS level for one year. He put up numbers. Uh, he's a guy who can kick return as well. He's a guy who, when he has the ball, you know, and, and he's he's very dangerous. But he's he's a different yak guy than Henry Ruggs, who I think was the only guy who is sort of in his vicinity as far as like yards after the catch in this class. Whereas Ruggs was a guy who, when he caught the ball, he was mostly just running behind the defense. With Ayuk, he's a guy who works for it. You know, he's, he's a guy who finds his daylight, who can break tackles. Um, you know, he's more of like a, a running back kind of a guy. But he has he has a deceptive catch radius because of those really long arms. Um, but he has uh, – he, he's still raw – you know, the, the, there's there's questions there, with, you know, as, as far as this game goes. So I'm not quite as high on him as as some other folks. You know, I, I, I still have some questions with, you know, like w w with his game. So I, I, I do have some struggles w with him. Like, um, you know, despite that athleticism, for instance, he has some, uh, you know, issues like separating deep, you know, like that's one of them. Uh, contested catches, you know, like stuff like that. And if, if you have issues separating deep, despite being super athletic, and then you also have issues catching the ball in traffic, uh, you know, or, or, or when you're being harassed, it, it, it might be tough because at Arizona State, he was manufactured a lot of touches. And, uh, you know, in the NFL, I, I don't know if he's, you know, if a team that invests highly in him, if they just want him to be a manufactured touch guy close to the line. So he, he needs work to become more than that. 